From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Welcome to Revelation. We're in week uh, five of our series on the seven churches, the message to the seven churches of Revelation. So if you are um, online and you're new to Parkway, hey, welcome to you. Excited that you're with us, but you're just jumping right into the middle of a series. But do not fret, because as much as they're together, they stand alone this morning. This is the last book in the Bible. For those of you who have not been following all along, you go all the way to the back, you'll find this book, and it is a letter from the book, or from Jesus, um, dictated to John, who writes to um, seven churches to show these churches, show these followers of Christ what soon must take place. And it's full of encouragement, and it's full of challenge, and it's full of warning. And there's a couple things that I think that we need to take note of as we look at each of these churches. The first is this, is that John, the writer, the Apostle John, is in exile. He's been exiled and imprisoned on a small island, sentenced to slave labor in the mines of Patmos. And his crime was submitting to the word of God. His, his crime was the testimony of Jesus. John would not bow down to Caesar as Lord, and so they exiled him. They tried to martyr him, but that didn't work, and so they exiled him. And as I reflect on that, a number of things come to mind. The first is this, is we're here today studying this book We're studying this book from this man who is in chains because of Jesus. And if he didn't take a stand for his faith, we might not be studying this book today. And even furthermore, we're able to learn and we're able to grow and apply the discipleship truths to our life and our cultural moment because John, while he was in exile in slave labor, didn't let his circumstances stop him from doing the will of God. Like, I could just, we can just preach that and walk away. John is in exile, in slave labor, in the mines of Patmos. He's, they've, been, they've tried, you know, legend says they tried to boil him and it didn't work. And he's still completing the will of God. He's still doing the things that God asked him for. How many times are we quick to quit? Circumstances get hard, I'm done. Life doesn't go the way you want. Mm, you tried to boil me? God, that's my limit. Boiling is my limit. I'll go as far as that, but then I'm done. But John didn't let that stop him. So we're studying and we're learning and we're applying these truths to our lives because, because of John. Second thing is this, is this is a revelation from the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. Like you cannot picture in your mind like first century Galilee, Jesus doing life with his disciples, with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, dusty robe from traveling along dirt roads, like nomadic kind of life. You can't picture that. This is, this is the king of the universe enthroned in glory and power. He has all things at his disposal. Like remember the song we used to sing to kids or maybe you still sing it. He's got the whole world. Literally, this is the image of Jesus right now. It's not just something that you say in Sunday school to make kids feel nice. It's not something we say to kids just to make them feel good. This is literally who we're looking at. This is Jesus enthroned in glory, giving this revelation to John. And he's standing among the churches, encouraging them and challenging them. And these letters are given to these churches. 
And the context is these churches, and that's so important to understand the book, but the message is for all of churches and all of us of all time. And so if you have a Bible, Revelation chapter two, we're gonna be looking at verses 18 to 29, and just as we're turning there, maybe you already turned there, I just wanna open in, in some prayer. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for a time of worship and, and glorifying you, Lord. And I know that preps our heart. And today as we open up to this next uh, section of this book, God, and as we look at it today, I pray that you'd speak very clearly to our situation, Lord. And as we learn about Thyatira, we learn about the compromise. We learn about um, what they were dealing with, the, the, the things, God, that you had against them. I pray that we would examine ourselves this morning. We would allow your spirit to speak to us, God, for the purpose of healing and growth and moving forward and maturing in our faith. So we praise you, God, that we have this word this morning. We praise you, God, that you're here with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 18, we're going to start there all the way to 29. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen as well, I believe. John says this, he says to the, or Jesus says this to John, he writes, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways." I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's really what we're doing is we're asking, what is the Spirit saying to this church? And what is the Spirit also saying to our church, to Parkway? So I wonder, have you ever been um, in a place where you had to choose between two things that you really wanted, but you couldn't have both? It was either or. Have you ever been in a position where you had to choose between two things, A and B, one and two, and you really, really wanted both, but you couldn't have both? I feel like we're in this position a lot, like with our kids. I'm often presenting them two options. It could be a toy situation. It could be a food-related thing. But, but here's both options, and they have to choose which one they want. And I get to watch as they agonize over this choice. I don't, it could be any, any, any real thing. But what's, it's hard for them to choose because choosing one means letting go of the other. And, and as you grow up, you begin to realize that the rules that apply to kids don't necessarily apply to adults. 
You know, for instance, so my kids, we often let them, you know, if they're having a treat, let's say they have to choose, they can choose between this treat or that treat, right? Do you want this one or that one? And it's really difficult for them, but they can only have one. But when they're not looking, I can have both. Isn't that true? Come on. Parent, yeah, you know, you know what it's like. Like, I can have the cookies and the ice cream. And I justify it by saying that the cookies are the toppings on the ice cream, right? I, I do that all the time when they're not looking. Like, I quickly open up a cup, and here they come. Try to shove it down. And we do this as adults, right? We, we can do those things that maybe we, can, we don't let our kids do, and we're terrible as parents, but, you know, one day they'll do the same, and it's just this cycle called parenting of life. But the problem is, as adults, is we tend to let this kind of compromise bleed into other areas of our lives that have greater consequences, and no greater consequence um, than our commitment to Christ and the compromise we make with life. You track with me a little bit? This was Thyatira. Uh, we don't know much about Thyatira because there's not a lot of archaeological info regarding the people of Thyatira, but what we do know is actually incredibly helpful for understanding this message. So Thyatira was the center of worship to Apollo, who was the god of sunlight and the son of Zeus, who was known in the Greek world as the high god. And Apollo was thought to be the divine guardian of the city and the god of many of the trade guilds um, who regularly honored him at all their functions. And if you think, what is a trade guild? Think of union today. And the people of Thyatira thought that the Roman emperor Caesar was the incarnated Apollo. They believed in that city that he was the incarnated Apollo, and so they worshipped Apollo, but they also worshipped Caesar as son of Zeus, or son of the high, the high God. Which is why Jesus comes right out to this church with this statement reminding them who he is by saying, these are the words of the Son of God. Right? You're in a city that claims they worship the son of Zeus, the son of the high God, but these are the words of the Son of God. Every message to each church, Jesus is reminding the church that he is supreme and that the claims of the city that they're in, their claims of the, the world that they're in, their culture, these so-called gods, these lesser divine beings are counterfeit. Like Apollos and Zeus are counterfeit. They're there to deceive the nation and culture to worship them and not God. In fact, if you look throughout the book of Revelation, you see the forces and you see the rulers of evil, of darkness and corruption. You see the visions of beasts, the harlots, the mark. They are all counterfeit to the power and rule and supremacy of Yahweh and of Jesus and of, and of heaven. This is what the devil do, does. He's a counterfeiter. Paul says in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he says that the Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan pretends to be something that he's not. He makes claims and he makes his own thrones and counterfeit ideas that appear as good to deceive, if possible, even God's people. Like sometimes because of Hollywood, we have this picture of the devil in our mind who's like running around with a little pitchfork and he's red and he's got this like dagger of a tail and he's trying to entice us to do really, really bad things, but that's not how the devil works often because he's cunning and he's smart. And he masquerades as light to deceive. You know, a couple weeks ago we talked about um, using discernment. And discernment is the difference between what is right and almost right. That's what the devil does. He appears as almost right. 
And Jesus warns us of this in Matthew chapter 24. He says, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders, miraculous things to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And do you know what I think we're doing, church? I think we're too busy looking for like people that look like Jesus and performing miraculous signs when we're not looking at who's right in front of us masquerading as light. Like, I think we're too busy, like, when we look at things, we're like, okay, one day there's going to come something, and it's going to have all these miraculous powers, and we're going to be able, the church is really going to be able to identify that that is a false prophet, and that is Satan masquerading as light. But I think we fail to recognize who's in front of us all the time, masquerading as light. When we look at our world, and we look at our nation, we look at our cultural moment, what are the counterfeit truths? Who are the counterfeit powers, the counterfeit gods that are being presented to us that are pulling our allegiance away from Jesus? And maybe for some of us that's, that's significant or large, maybe for, for many of us it's small and your counterfeit is Netflix, binge watching in the evening mindlessly to drain out your brain. Like, I, believe me, I do, I love it. Like, I like streaming shows, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm so high and mighty and you're not. But what are the things that are pulling our allegiance away from Christ, masquerading his, hey, do you know what? You need some downtime. You do. You do need some downtime. If you're online, you can't see my face. Sometimes we like to put music in just to make, make it seem more intenseful. Right? What, when our loyalties, listen to this, when our loyalties align closer to to our workplace or our social circles or our government than they do Christ and the fellowship of believers, maybe we believe counterfeit lies because Satan is a counterfeiter. Apollos and the high God Zeus were counterfeit. And behind those, we've, we can look at it in scripture, behind those lurked forces that were trying to deceive people away from following the true son of God and the most high God who is Yahweh. Satan's a counterfeiter. Now, Thyatira was famous for its unusual number of trade guilds. According to some, there were guilds for wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, bronze smiths, and shoemakers. It was like a manufacturing hub. That's what was Thyatira, which meant that in order to make it financially in this city, you needed to be a, a member of one of these guilds. And to not join a trade meant risking financial loss. But this presented a problem for those who were serious about the relationship with Jesus. Anybody serious about the relationship with Jesus? Oh, good, I got some answers. This presented a serious problem because membership in a trade guild meant that you need to participate in the social activity Activities of the, those guilds. And that would have been problematic because most of the social activities were completely tied up in worship to Apollos. Last week we talked um, a little bit about how participation in an idol feast for the, the believers, it's the church, was never a neutral act because behind the, the feast that was an honor to a god was a force, a spiritual force lurking behind that idol. And joining in the social activities of these trade guilds would have been very similar because they were tied up in uh, worship to false idols and it would compromise someone's allegiance to Jesus as God. But not doing so meant financial disaster. So can you see the tension? 
Right? You see the difficulty here? If I don't, I risk financial ruin, loss of income, job security. I risk social ramifications. And if I do, I compromise my allegiance and worship to Christ. And we face that tension every day. We face that tension one way or the other in every sector of life in our social circles. There's the, there's the battle that do I compromise my values and my faith and my worship to Christ for the sake of fitting in? In our workplaces, as a Canadian in our cultural moment, we face the tension of following Jesus at all costs and living and working in a world like ours. Can you see that in your life? Like, I see it in my life and in the smallest scale to the largest scale. And here's the thing, we want both. We want to have both. I want to follow Jesus and I want financial security. Like, I want to follow Jesus and I want to fit in. I want to have my cake and I want to eat it too. I was trying to explain that to my son the other day. He's like, but don't when I get my cake, I get to eat it? I was like, yeah, but you want to keep your cake and just have it there, but also eat it. You can't, can't have both. So Jesus begins um, to, this word to this church with encouragement, which I love of Christ. He's such a gentle person. He says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. He's saying you're doing great things. You're maturing and you're, you're moving forward in discipleship. He commends them for their service, for their faith, for their love, for their effort. They're doing more than they did at first. If we contrast that to Ephesus, who had failed to do the things they did at first. This was a church that not only did the things they did at first, but they're doing more. He's looking at them, he says, you guys have done a lot of good stuff. You know, if you were just new to this area and you were looking for a church that was, that was doing things in the community, that was, that was moving forward, that, that had things happening, this was the church. I wanna go to Thyatira. Thyatira has got a lot of good going on, but then Jesus, as he sees all the good and commends him for the good, he has something against them. And I'll never forget that. Like what we tend to do as people is we, is we tend to allow the good to outweigh the bad. Especially when it comes to, to faith and, and devotion and Christ-likeness. We bypass the bad and we overlook that bad because of all the good. And we do that in all areas of life. Well, you've done a lot of good here, so I'm just gonna let this go. But Jesus doesn't. He says, I have this against you. Like, Jesus has something against them. That seems, that seems kind of harsh because we have this picture of Jesus that's been painted to us as just this loving person, and he is love, and that's why he points out the bad. That's why he points out the wrong. He says, I have something against you, and it's against this church that he loves and that he died for, and if we flip back a little bit, he stands among so that tells me when Jesus has something against you, it's for your good. It's for your growth. It's so you can become more like him. When you are confronted with the word of God and conviction hits your heart, God's reproof or God's discipline is not malicious in intent. It's his desire is for healing and for, for maturing in faith. And we, and we turn from conviction, right? We turn from rebuke. We're like, I don't, don't tell me the hard. I'm gonna skip over those chapters in the scripture. Or we can do what some do is we can be like, well, do you know what? That's not actually supposed to be there. 
Take that one out. That's not part of the Bible I read. I'm going to modify my scriptures more and more and more. We skip over because I don't want the bad, but when God points out the bad, it's for your good. Like it's out of love for you and desire to see you mature and grow in Christ. And I was leading a missions trip when I was, I was 20 years old. And I was leading this missions trip to a reserve up north. And we had driven basically until the road stops. And then you had to fly into these, this reserve. And what we did is we partnered with the, the local church there and, and putting on camps and stuff for kids and, and helping them connect a little bit more to their community in terms of church ministry. And it, for all intents and purposes, it was a successful mission. It was, it was impactful and, and it was good. But me as 20-year-old person, adult, I was a little goofy. Like, and I probably goofed off more than I probably should have. In fact, I did a lot. I don't remember specifically, but I do remember when I got home and I sat down with my pastor and he starts to kind of debrief the trip with me and he's like, hey, praising God for all the good that was accomplished, this, that. And, he's like, and then he says, you know, we need to talk a little bit about the goofing off. And I was shocked. Because I'm a, this 20-year-old, yeah, this is a great trip. I did awesome. And, and he did commend me, like Christ. But then he said, you know, this is not the example I expect from my leaders. But it was for my good. And Jesus does that. He says, I, knew, I know you're good. He knows you're good. But he says this to this church, I have this against you. In verse 20, he says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, which I find interesting. You know, let someone else give you the title. Don't claim the title for yourself. Calls herself a prophet by teaching, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating, the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And we kind of looked at that a little bit before. So this Jezebel is teaching a theology of compromise. And it's likely that her name is not actually Jezebel, this person, but Jesus is connecting her to the Old Testament person, Jezebel. So let me bring you there. Jezebel in the Old Testament was the daughter of King Tyre and Sidon, which were cities that were hostile to Israel. But she got into Israel by marrying King Ahab. And Jezebel committed Baal worship. She was a worshiper of Baal. Baal was the nature god, the fertility god, and he was a prominent Old Testament divine being in opposition to Yahweh. If you read the Old Testament scriptures specifically, First and Second Samuel, from the First and Second Kings, you know Chronicles, you'll, you'll encounter Baal often. And Jezebel quickly became a powerful force and voice in Israel and in the government, quickly imposing Baal worship, persuading the king of Israel to build an altar to Baal. And under her influence, Ahab eventually be, began to worship other gods as well. And she had any prophet of Yahweh, any prophet of the Lord, who spoke against her executed. And her argument was essentially, you can worship Baal right alongside worshiping Yahweh. But these two cannot coexist in the life of someone without compromising one or the other. The command of God when it came to worshiping him was either or. Either you do or you don't. Not both and. Exodus chapter 20, you can have no other gods before me. The, the, the command in the Ten Commandments is not, you can have your cake and eat it too. I'm that kind. Sure. That would have been Baal. Yeah. I'm all for Yahweh. Sure. Great. Me too. 
God's like, no, one or the other. In fact, God sent Elijah to prophesy over Israel in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. It's basically saying, whoever is the most high, go that way. You can't have both. You can't worship Jesus and worship the world. You can't follow the way of Christ and follow the way of culture. You cannot do both. You cannot simultaneously live your life contrary to the teachings of Christ and live in sin and claim to follow Jesus. They don't compute. That math does not work. That's one plus one equals three. It does not work. You can't have both. And so let me ask us this morning, are we wavering? Do we find ourselves compromising? Do we find ourselves trying to hold on to both? I want to follow Christ, but I don't want to let this go. And God is saying, you can't do both. In the Old Testament, no other God before me. Revelation here to this church, you tolerate the spirit Jezebel. You can't do both. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor and theologian uh, known for his staunch resistance of the Nazi dictatorship and regime. You probably have heard the name Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was extremely vocal in opposition against Hitler's dictatorship and, and a euthanasia program and a persecution of the Jews. And he was eventually hung at the age of 39. Yeah, that's only like a couple years for me. 39 for being associated with those who plotted the assassination of Hitler. And he said this. He said, the human heart has the capacity for only one all-encompassing, all-embracing allegiance. Jesus said this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot compromise with the world and serve God. It does not work no matter how hard you try. I heard an illustration long ago, and I'm going to butcher it, but I'll share it with you anyway. And, and you know, on the one side, there was, there was the forces of darkness. There was the devil. There was Satan. And, and then there was a fence. And then over here, there was God. And there were people sitting on the fence because they wanted to have both. You know, I want to do the ways of the world because I enjoy my comfort and I enjoy my consumeristic lifestyle and I enjoy these things because sin is, feels good sometimes. And, uh, but I love God and I want to follow God and I want eternal life. I want both. And so, you know, the day of judgment comes and, and Jesus returns and resurrection happens and God comes and he takes all the people on this side and goes and Satan comes and he takes all this people on this side and he goes and People on the fence are sitting there, and then Satan comes along and says, come on, let's go. And they say, wait, 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 um, boom, both. And then Satan looks at them and says, you forget I own the fence. And that's how we live life sometimes. Isn't that hard? <laughs> that's not a scripture story, just say no. It's just an illustration. So this church was... Uh, tolerating the spirit of Jezebel. And Jezebel was at work advocating for both and theology. And it came down to this for this church. Who will I follow, Jesus or the leaders of the trade guilds? Who will be first, 
Jesus or the expectations of the trade guilds? For you and me, what will be of the utmost importance? The success of my business, my career, my life, or the vitality of my relationship with Jesus? Not to say you can't have a successful business, but what is of the utmost importance? What takes precedence, the values and priorities and spirit of my friendships and work relationships or the values and priorities and spirit of the Lord of life? Like we don't face the exact same issues that this church faced, but we deal with the spirit of compromise all the time, every day. We say, well, I'm all for a commitment to Jesus, but things just don't work that way in the real world, pastor. Well, what other world is there than the real world in which Jesus calls us to follow him to? Because I don't know about you, but I don't live in a fantasy world. I watch movies that have fantasy worlds, but I don't exist in fantasy worlds. We exist in a real world. Well, business is business, right? And, and you can have faith, and I'm all for faith in church, but keep it out of the public sector. Well, how do we do that? We can't confine Jesus to one sphere of life. We cannot compartmentalize our lives because when we compartmentalize our lives like this and we put faith over here and we put God over there and then we do the rest of our lives, we perpetuate the false reality of both and. We perpetuate the reality that I can have this and that. You cannot, according to scripture, you can. You can try to do that, but in the end, you will not get the end result you want to have. So Jesus calls Thyatira and the call is for us as well to hold on to him and the fullness of life in him to reject intentionally, purposely, vigorously the spirit of compromise. Do you reject it? That's what the call is. Reject that spirit of compromise. The question is, how do we do that, right? How do we do that? How? Because I think every single one of us in this room today and every single one of us watching online, we, we deal with this tension. We deal with this difficulty. We do this by keeping our eyes fixed on him and by keeping his face before us because if you lose sight of who Jesus is, you will lose the desire and strength to remain loyal. You know, why, you know in, the, in, the, in the New Testament times, like, they didn't have this. They didn't have a, a device in their pocket that had every translation of the Bible. So they couldn't go every day as an individual and open up scriptures and study them themselves. Like they got together and someone would read the, the letter that they had copied out loud to the group. And then what they would have to go is they would call meditate or memorize it for the rest of their week. Why do we in today's culture say to, to, to study this every single day? It's because of this. Because if Jesus is not set before us, we'll lose the desire to remain loyal. Because there's so many counterfeit things out there pretending to be God, trying to lure you away. That if I'm not in this and I don't know this and I'm not putting Jesus before me, I'm gonna find myself in something else, serving something else, following something else, believing something else. Story goes of a man who traveled to certain parts of Asia for work and at any hotel in any city, the hospitality service went beyond just cleaning the room but offered sexual favors and for him it was everywhere. And this man had a tool at his disposal to resist the temptation that came his way. He kept a picture of his wife and his kids in his briefcase in his wallet, and he couldn't pull out either or without seeing his wife and his kids. So the story goes that he's having dinner at a restaurant in a hotel, and one of the hospitality girls comes over. 
So he reaches down into his wallet, he pulls out a pitcher, and he points to his wife. And he says to this girl, I belong to her. Isn't that good? And the same is, is true for you and me and for us, is this is how we remain loyal to Jesus. We carry him close to our minds and our hearts, and we regularly pull out his picture to remind us that I belong to him. And he paints us a, a bit of a picture of who he is in this message in Revelation chapter 2 in this, in this, to this church. He says first, he says he's the son of God. In a city who claimed that Apollo was the son of God, he complains, he claims he is the son. And as the son, he is the perfect and final revelation of the unseen God. The living God is seen in Jesus. And, and as the glorified Savior, he has all authority over every Apollo, every Caesar, every trade guild, every union, every senate, every law court, every workplace, every nation. He is the CEO of all CEOs. And as a follower of Jesus, I belong to him. Number two is the, paint, the picture shows us in verse 18 that he is the one who has eyes like blazing fire, which is both comforting and terrifying. It's terrifying because his eyes pierce through darkness with penetrating insight. He's like a searchlight exposing all the dark hidden corners of your life. He knows the deep secrets. And he says to this church, I'm the one who searches the hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. In other words, if you choose to compromise, you will reap the consequences that come with those compromising choices. God does not protect us from what comes when we make choices that compromise our faith. It's comforting though because fire also cleanses. It shines and exposes in order to heal and refine and make pure. It's not just to reveal what is hidden, but to transform. Number three, the picture shows us that his feet are like burnished bronze, so strong they're able to walk on all evil and trample it into nothingness. That his foundation is solid and firm and in him no storms of life can knock us down if we keep our eyes and hearts, our minds fixed on him. I belong to him. Number four is the picture shows us that he is also patient. Speaking of Jezebel, he says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality. But she's unwilling. He gave this person time to come to her senses, to turn around, to change her thinking, to repent. And he gives us time. He's not hasty in his judgment. He waits for our repentance, but not forever. Number five, the picture shows us the promises he makes. The first promise is this, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations just as I have received authority from my father. So he promises those that do his will in, to the end that they will rule with him in the end. They will rule with him in the end. And so when we're tempted to compromise for temporary satisfaction or to gain in this life, pull out the promise of this picture. Why let other things take the place of Jesus? Why fear powers or, or forces when Jesus has the last word? 
To submit to the rule and reign of Jesus means that we will rule and reign with Jesus in the age to come. It's delayed gratification, right? You know when you have little kids and they just want to do the thing now? They're just like, I need it now. And you're like, patience, wait. And they're like, come on, I just want it now. That's what, we're, that's what he's saying. He's like, wait, don't give in to that because you'll reap the consequences that comes with that. Wait and you'll rule with me. Revelation chapter one, we read it. New heaven, new earth. The second promise is this, to the one who is victorious, I will also give that one the morning star. So if you go to the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus actually refers to himself as the morning star. The morning star is the star that usually appears in the darkest time of the night, around 2 or 3 a.m. And it usually comes at the point when the night is as dark as it's going to get. And when it appears, it, it, when there's no light, when there's no dawn, when there's nothing, that's when it appears. And when it appears, you know that the night cannot stop the light. And when it shows up, it's just a matter of time before dawn wipes away the darkness. He says, I will give you the morning star. He's encouraging those who remain loyal and do not compromise that he will lift you up in dark times. When you feel like you're, you're, you're suffering financial loss, social ramifications, I'll give you the morning star. I'll give you hope in the darkest time of night. This is for us too, because this is the picture of who Jesus is. This is the picture we need to hold on to when we're facing compromise and temptation. This is the picture that we need to pull out and remind whatever the temptation is, I belong to him. I belong to him. See, see him? I belong to him. And listen, temptation is always difficult to overcome. It wouldn't be temptation if we could just like walk away, right? It's when it's pulling you and you're feeling lured in, you pull out the picture and say, no, I belong to him. This is really hard right now, but I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to look up. I'm going to look at his picture. I'm going to fix my mind. I'm going to fix my heart on him. And it's really dark right now. And I've, yes, I know financial loss and, and, and job loss and social you know, difficulties, but I'm going to look at him. I'm going to fix my eyes on him. If I fix my eyes up here, I'm going to be drawn to it. I'm going to be lured to it, but I fix my eyes on him. I won't compromise. You could get in the image with me, church. Are you with me in this? Like, I can look, I can, I can look at the thing. You know, can I just give you a super practical tool when faced with temptation? The longer you look at it, the more susceptible you will fall. So the moment it pops up, if you can make the quick decision to turn away from it, like literally, literally, if it's a physical thing, like something on a screen or a person, you, you physically turn and say, I'm not doing this, and you make the decision, I'm gonna do that right away, then you are like 10 times more likely to overcome temptation. Because you've stared at the picture of Jesus long enough that it comes, you're like, uh-uh, nope. You know what? You know, you walk, like I, 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 I go, you know, walk with our kids or driving down the road and I see people like, I don't have my phone near me, but they just got, they're glued to their phone, right? You know what I'm talking about? You ever see people like that? I see people walking their kids, like in a stroller. They're holding a the stroller, like this is my hand holding the stroller. And they're just I'm like, man, you're gonna get hit by a car. You ever see people like that in the mall? Everywhere, they're everywhere. Sometimes people are even driving and looking. Well, if we could just like, put that down and then, and then take a, an image of Christ, 
It's the same idea. I'm just fixing my eyes on him. Just fixing my eyes on him. Fixing my eyes on him. Because when you look at his face, do you really have any other choice? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand to our feet. I wonder if you're here today and you're making compromising decisions and choices. Are you trying to hold on to sinful choices and a lifestyle and ways of the world around you in Christ? Is there something in you right now that the Spirit has put his finger on to say, I have this against you? You tolerate the spirit of compromise. Would you lay that down today? Would you be willing to make a decision today to lay lay that down in prayer and worship? Would you do that before everybody here? Would you make that risk? Because I'm no longer gonna compromise. So Matt's gonna lead us in the, the song. We'll come to the altar and we're gonna open up the altar and make those decisions to come. And listen, if you're feeling, I feel like there's somebody here that's feeling that and you're just, just the fact of coming forward freaks you out a little bit because you don't want to be seen. Well, that is how you expose darkness is you make it seen. You make it seen. You bring it to the light. Come forward as we worship. We'll all worship together. We'll give him glory. But let's just lay down the compromising choices and decisions and the struggles at his feet and fix our eyes and attention on his picture. So Holy Spirit of God, you see everybody here today and everybody within the sound of my voice. And I believe that you're already pinpointing things on their life, Lord, on all of our lives, God. Now, maybe we've been doing the both and thing, Lord, and and that we're really, what you're calling us to do is to choose, to make a decision. It's either or. And to face the consequences that come with the choice. And so, Lord, right now, as we worship you in song and as we praise you and we fix our attention on you, Lord, this is, I believe, Lord, this is gonna be a good moment of just, dwelling on the picture of Christ. But Lord, as we come forward, we just repent in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.